Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. morning, everyone. Will you please join me in the reading of God's Word? Today's Bible reading is coming from the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. So you can open up in your own Bible or look up on the screen or find a Bible in the seat rack in front of you. If you don't personally have a Bible, please take this as a gift from Radiant. So chapter 8, 1 through 17, Matthew. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into utter darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Good. Um, we're a charismatic uh, church, which means that we believe the gifts of the Spirit, um, even the miraculous ones, are to mark the life of the church uh, today. And if that's kind of a new idea uh, for you, um, or you find yourself wrestling with aspects of that, the podcast that I recorded with Mike Pilavachi will be really helpful. He's incredibly winsome. And so I would encourage everyone to give that a listen. He drops some gold um, in that, uh, that interview. I'm uh, a proud part of the charismatic kind of stream of the church. Um, although there are parts of charismatic subculture that I really struggle with, um, especially the things of, that feel like hype or feel forced or feel manipulated, um, I, I don't do well around that stuff. And 
One of the things I've always struggled with with our charismatic subculture is the book table, you know, and the selling of merch. Um, I really struggle with that. One of the things I hate most about church sometimes is when the visiting speaker is here, has a book, and is like, who wants this book? And then you're like, oh, man, who is going to run forward and grab the cassette? set, you know, you've seen this, I'm I'm not making this up. You've been in these meetings, right? It's like, I got a shirt with your name on it. Who's, and I just, everything in me is like, oh God, I hate this part, you know, Um, while people kind of run for forward. I don't know if it's that I'm so um, stuck, you know, that I don't move or operate very freely uh, or what, I don't know what my beef is, but I was in this meeting a couple uh, months ago, and a, and a guy was kind. Of, he he pulled out a hundred dollar bill, and he was like, "Who wants a hundred bucks?" And I was like, "Oh gosh, this thing! I feel gross when this happens." And he's like, "No, who wants it?" And everyone was like, "What is going on here? There's some trick or some thing or." Uh, so I was like, oh, I feel I want this to be over. So slowly but surely, people started coming forward. I want a hundred bucks, and then there was like fifteen people in front of him, and he's like, he's like dangling it, and people are kind of reaching for it. Do you feel you feel the sickness, right? Like you feel like ah, man, end this story right now, Trav. Well, here's how it ends. He's like, who wants it? He keeps just saying the same thing. Who wants it? Who wants it? And everyone's like, me, me, me. Who wants it? Who wants it? And I'm like, what is going on here? I want to leave so bad. And then finally, one person just reaches out and takes it and walks to his seat with the $100 bill. And it really rattled me, really messed me up. As if everyone kind of wants it, but very few are willing to reach out and just take it. And it messed with me, and it's been messing with me for months, and I, I just sense there are some things that we really all want as a body. Oh, I want that. I, I want to see that. I want to see that. I want to see that. And there's something to us just getting up the nerve to reach out and just take it. And I don't know why God's economy works in this way, whereas Mike shared, you know, we have to then open the door. You know, I, I just don't, I just kind of, God, you do your thing and, and leave me out of it. I'd be better off anyway. You know, that kind of thing. And, and it's like, no, there's something to us taking hold of what's been purchased for us. There's something about us applying the work of the atonement to our lives, uh, physically, spiritually, mentally, and it's really uncomfortable, but there is an undeniable link between our faith and healing in Scripture. It's undeniable, and we'll get into it together, but that's just how I wanted to start this. There's something for us to reach out and take hold of. That it's not enough to just want these things and maybe even come forward with that desire, but we're being invited to take hold of something, to lay hold of something, to grab on to something. 
and to, uh, yeah, trust in what Christ has done. So Jesus just got done giving his back to, back to Matthew 8. Work, let's work through this. Does that make any, am I, are we here? You guys all right? Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has just got done giving his, his most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because he gives it on a mount. And Jess just uh, read to us that he basically comes down um, and begins to f- advance the kingdom of God. Not in words or with a speech, not in just proclamation, but demonstration. Jesus begins to demonstrate the kingdom of God. He's just gotten done with his most famous sermon, and the crowd says, what about his teaching? When the crowd says, we're, we're, we're astonished, because Jesus' message was marked by what? Authority. There's a weight to his words. His message is marked by authority. And we use that word authority in a lot of different ways. Someone can become uh, an authority on something because they have knowledge, right? You can be an authority on the duckbill platypus because you know the most about it. That's the leading authority on the duckbill platypus. He might not be a good guy um, or gal, uh, but that's an authority because of what they know. And then you can delegate authority. You can give someone authority to speak on your behalf to the media or to represent you. So authority is delegated, and we use, we use it that way. Authority is kind of um, stood on, or to use Jesus' language, people use it to lord over. Like they always have to remind you of their authority because you don't easily or quickly receive their authority, right? You also, just a few other ways, you can have authority due to rank. You can be given a position of authority and you can hire and fire and make decisions from that positional authority you have. And then there's an authority that comes because of character, When our presidents or when our leaders fail, they often still have all the authority that comes with their position. They can still hire and fire. They can still execute, right? But what do they lose? They lose their moral authority. They don't now have a place to lead our nation because of their character and people don't trust them and therefore they don't follow them. I say all these things to say Jesus is operating in all the authorities. What authority does Jesus have? All the authorities. (laughs) There seems to be a weight because of his character. It just emanates from who he is. He doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk and people know it. And it's like, that's weighty. And then he seems to have this incredible knowledge into the very heart of God. This depth of understanding that makes him an authority on the issue. And then he's not lording his authority over people. He's not walking around with business cards, you know, with his like title, like, well, call me Lord. No, people are willingly and quickly saying, you're Lord and I long for your leadership. They receive it. They want it in their Lives. And then he seems to be operating in a delegated authority as well. At the end of Matthew's gospel, it said, 
it says that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's been given to me. I'm operating also in a sort of delegated authority. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. He speaks on God's behalf. When a prophet speaks, a prophet says, thus saith the Lord. When a prophet speaks for God, they say, thus saith the Lord. When Jesus speaks for God, he says, I tell you. Whoa. Well, that's weighty. The authority of Jesus just unrivaled in human history, in all of history. I was thinking about this Napoleon Bonaparte quote. Napoleon says, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus is not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between, this this quote just feels French to me. (laughs) And the gods of other religions, that resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and other religions, the distance of infinity. Between him, Jesus, and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this very hour, millions of men would die for him. Before we talk about Jesus uh, demonstrating or exercising power and authority, I just, I just want to remind us that power is not a bad thing. Authority is not a bad thing. Power paired with love and a sound mind is an amazing thing. Power paired with insecurity and fear is a tremendous evil in our world. But just know that power and authority are neutral and could be used for good or bad reasons. This is really important because I find in our day, we think things are inherently good that are actually neutral. And we think things are inherently bad that are actually neutral. Let me explain this. We all think honesty is a really good thing. What? I'm just being honest. How could that be a bad thing? Well, you can be honest for good and bad reasons. It's not inherently good to be honest. It's not inherently good to be authentic. You can be authentic for good and for bad reasons. In the same way, we hear power and we're like, authority, no thanks. Like these are inherently bad. And it's not that they're inherently bad. It's that they're neutral. They can be used for good or for bad. And the answer to something being abused is not disuse. It's right and proper use. And we want Jesus to use his power and authority. When his power and authority paired with love and a sound mind works, oh man, it's working. Jess just read about what happens when the kingdom of God advances in authority. All right. This week, Jesus exercises authority over sickness, but for the next few chapters, the theme in Matthew is Jesus exercising power and authority. He's proclaimed the word of God and the kingdom of God. Now he's about to demonstrate the kingdom of God and the power of God. 
He's powerful in both word and deed. So he'll exercise authority over sickness and disease. He'll exercise authority over sin. He'll forgive sin. He'll exercise authority over the demonic realm. And he will, in the next few weeks together, exercise authority over the weather. He will tell the weather what to do. And it will do it. But the big theme to remember in the next few weeks is that Jesus has authority. This week we'll focus on sickness. Now the passage ends with this story. It starts with three pictures, the leper, the centurion, and Peter's mother-in-law. But it ends by saying that Jesus at dusk was brought many people and they were tormented by evil spirits or they were sick with disease. And Jesus healed them with his word, with a word he healed these people. And I found myself asking this question and I would encourage you to ask the same question, which is why? Why if so many people were healed, if Matthew saw countless miracles and saw many people healed. Why does Matthew highlight these three? Why, if the doctor was in that day, the great physician was there, he was present to heal. Why, if many people were healed on that day, why did Matthew choose to highlight the leper, the centurion, and Peter's mother-in-law? What is it that Matthew wants us to see? What is it that the Holy Spirit wants us to see as these specific cases are highlighted after a long day in the office? So let's read. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Huge crowds are still following. Jesus has been teaching the doctrine of heaven. Now he makes his descent And I think that we all agree that Christ's followers need to be both up on the mountain, hearing and receiving from him through his word, but they also need to come down into the valley and apply his work. Good theology needs to get dirty and gritty and work its way into everyday life. So Jesus isn't interested in just sitting atop a mountain and discussing the kingdom of God. He's going to make his way down and he's going to do it. It's going to get earthy. It's going to get gritty. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. Uh, Most of us familiar with leprosy, and there's, there's been doctors in both services, so I have to be careful what I say. Um, but we're familiar with what it is physically as like a skin condition. Um, it affects the, the color of your skin, the texture of your skin, the odor of your skin. Also affects your throat, gives you a really raspy voice. But the worst part about this is that it slowly destroys nerves that sense pain in your body. And sensing pain is something that's really important. So lepers often lost uh, fingers, they lost toes, they broke limbs because they couldn't feel weight. And they couldn't feel the heat of a flame or the cut of a knife. And so because they didn't have the ability to sense pain, they couldn't and wouldn't pull away. And this is kind of what happens physically to a leper. What's worse is what's happening socially 
to a leper. There was a necessary separateness for those who had the disease, but that meant that the disease came with something socially and not just physically, right? They had to, they were commanded to wear torn clothes. You know, when we have an imperfection or something we're working through, we work hard to creatively cover it up, right? Like a comb over, you know, we try to tell everybody, no, 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 there's hair there, trust me. You're like, I'm not sure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we have something, we want to hide it. We all do that. We buy clothes that are flattering and we do different things to uh, cover what we don't want people to see. Well, a leper was commanded to tear their clothes so you know exactly what was happening with their skin. They were also commanded that their hair would be disheveled or unkept. So it was clear when you were in that person's presence that they were uh, sick to stop the spread. Um, They had to cover their uh, mouth, and they had to, as they moved through a crowd, scream, unclean, unclean, unclean. And they had to announce their presence so that people would and could create space, right? If they lost through their raspy voice their ability to scream unclean, they literally just rang a bell as they moved through town to announce that everyone um, should part and pull away uh, from them. That's what's happening socially for a leper. They're commanded to live outside the camp. Here's what's happening spiritually for a leopard. They're considered by most to be cursed by God because there are moments in the Old Testament where it did mean that you were under God's curse to have leprosy. It also meant that the only known cure for leprosy was God's intervention. You know, it was like, there's nothing else we can do for you. Only God can help you now. Healings were rare, and we read in 2 Kings that healings were uh, thought to be uh, as significant as raising someone from the dead. A leper was considered a dead man walking. A rabbi was supposed to stay six feet from a leper. So they're socially distanced, but they're also spiritually uh, distant Um, which is, I think, something we can't relate to leprosy, but I think we all can relate to this idea of what, what is happening socially is far worse than what's happening physically. And then what's happening spiritually might be far worse, uh, than what's happening socially. They're all connected and causing trouble. So that a leper would approach Jesus that he would come into town, that he would clear the hurdles that are present in order to get get to Jesus in his situation, that he would stand not face to face. That's not how he approached him. It was face to foot. Jesus knelt, this leper knelt at Jesus' feet. But that he would get to Jesus is remarkable. What he says next is even more remarkable. It's astounding. He says, Lord, if you will, Make me clean. The reason I think this is astounding is because it's not a question. It's more of a statement than it is a question. He doesn't say, 
Lord, if you will, can you please make me clean? He assumes the authority. The power is not the problem. He says, you can make me clean. I know that. What I don't know is your character. Will you decide? Will you decide? Will you make a decision for a guy like me? I know you've got power. I know you can heal this. Will you? Will you do it for me? And Jesus says, whoa, what do we have here? Jesus says, hey, man, get up off the ground. What's your name? Jesus says, hey, I'd like to refer you to a leprosy specialist. I'm just an itinerant preacher. No, before Jesus does, before Jesus says anything, he does something that says everything, and he reaches out and he grabs him. And please read it that way, like he grabbed him. Because sometimes we read, and Jesus touched him. And I think the picture that comes to mind is like, you know, <laughs> like I just sprinkle baptized him, you know, or like this holy, this, it's like, no, no, no. He, grabbed, he grabs him and he touches him. He touches him before he says anything to him. And let's not sanitize this story. How long had it been since this guy had been touched? One, two, ten, twenty years? We have no clue because we don't know how long he's had leprosy. How long? How long had he gone without any physical touch? Without a hand on the shoulder to say this must be tough? Without a handshake, without a greeting, without a hug, without a playful pat of his head, how long had it been? And so Jesus is touching what's physically happening for him, but he's also healing what's socially and spiritually. Who is this rabbi who doesn't stay six feet back, but dares to touch a leper. And he just simply says, I will. <laughs> I will be clean. Leviticus 5, 3 tells us that Jesus actually, according to the law of God, becomes unclean the second he touches this leper. But instead of Jesus being defiled due to touching the leper, the leper is made clean through the touch of Jesus. Yes. Purity is passed from Jesus to the leper, not impurity from the leper to Jesus. He's spreading this sort of cleanliness. And this leper is living with a fear that anyone he touches will be defiled. And Jesus says to him, see to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as proof to them. And this is a really important part about the authority of Jesus, but sometimes in conveying that Jesus had authority, that he had power, we just automatically assume that if you have authority and power, you do whatever you want. And Jesus has already told us in the Sermon on the Mount, he's been really clear, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. 
And let's not pretend that because Jesus has authority, some sort of like rebel with a cause that he just, you know, he's like this, this Robin Hood kind of figure who just calls his own shots. He's quick to show himself submissive to the law of God. To borrow Paul's term over Jesus, he was born under the law. And there's just this simple act, which I think is really amazing, of him submitting to the traditions and the customs of his day. Frederick Dale Bruner in his commentary says, Jesus will not storm Israel with a messianic claim. He will not quietly at its door, leper by leper and little by little. The next portrait is of the centurion. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home suffering terribly. And he said to him, I'll come heal him. <laughs> so great. You have, you have to come away from this text knowing that Jesus is more eager than you know. He didn't ask a question. He is just in faith describing the situation. Jesus said, I'll do it. I got it. Cuts him off without hearing him out. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment." There's a bunch of things that would have been surprising about this story, and I think they're the same reasons that Matthew highlights it. The first surprise in this little uh, particular case is that a centurion came to Jesus. Much like um, the leper, this is not um, a, a likely contestant to come on down to the price is right, you know, or however that went. This is a Gentile, as in not the people of God. And this is a Roman soldier, as in oppressing the people of God. So we're talking about the wrong race and we're talking about the wrong uniform. This is the wrong guy to be before Jesus. And he starts what he's about to say with the second surprise. He says, Lord, Lord. Now, this guy understands how authority works And he is under the lordship of Caesar. And this is a really dangerous thing to say about Jesus. Now, um, the Jewish people had a problem with Jesus saying he was God. That's what got Jesus in trouble with the Jews was this blasphemous claim that he was God. It's like, get rid of this guy. Rome didn't care about that. Rome did not care that Jesus had claims to deity. Rome, who's overseeing an occupied country, has problems with people saying of Jesus, he's Lord. 
that is a term reserved for Caesar. You don't say that about anyone else without it coming off as a threat. So, hey, Jesus, if you want to, yeah, that's cool. You know, you're a god, whatever. We don't care. Don't say that you're Lord. That's something that we say of Caesar. And this Roman soldier starts his request with Lord, Lord. Surprise number three is that the Roman soldier is there not on his own behalf, but on behalf of a servant or a slave. This is a young servant. And this is a lot because this man is risking a ton on behalf of someone who in the Roman Empire was very easily replaced. So Roman writers maintained that the only difference between a slave and a beast or the cart that the beast pulled was that a slave talked. And here he is risking humiliation and maybe risking far more on behalf of someone who uh, we think could have been easily replaced for most soldiers. Surprise number four is that Jesus is like, I'll come to your house and heal him. That's surprising for a, a couple reasons. Again, one, Jesus isn't actually sure even what's going on, but he's very confident he, he can flip the bill. Like he can, he can flip the tab for it. Have you ever been with that person before where you're trying to explain to them like how much it's going to cost? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't matter. I got it. And you're like, no, you need to know that if you're going to do this, it's going to lead to this and it's probably going to cost this. Does it matter? Because the pockets are that deep. Jesus is uninterested in the description of what's happening. And he's kind of like, I'll come, I'll come heal him. I'll take care of it. Well, the surf and turf is expensive. <laughs> the other thing is that Jesus is willing to go to a Gentile's home. He's like, oh, I'll go to your house. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> Surprise number five is that the centurion's like, no, you can't come to my house. <laughs> this is a homeless Jewish man with no place to lay his head. And this Roman soldier knows he's unworthy to have royalty in his home. I, my house is not worthy to house you. I don't often feel this way about my house because I have a wife and things are pretty dialed. Well, sometimes pretty dialed at our house. So I don't feel embarrassed to have you to my house. Get in my car, though. And I have definitely been in situations where I'm like, oh, man, this is wrong. <laughs> I got in a habit of uh, chewing sunflower seeds and just spitting the shells on the floor. Like, there was no cup, and it just straight to the ground. Like I was at Five Guys with the peanut shells. just, And I'm fine. And then I'd have to, like, give Tiff's grandma a ride. And I'd be like, oh, God, this is horrible. <laughs> Or I always feel like my car is the car that I like go speak, you know, I have to go pick up the big name speaker, you know, and you open the door and like some things fall out, you know, you're like, oh, this car shouldn't house you. Don't drive in this car. Don't ride in this car. This is the way that this Roman centurion feels around a homeless Jewish man. You cannot come to my house. My house is not worthy to house you. 
Surprise, number six, he proposes a solution. He's like, just say the word. From standing right there, you don't even need to go. I understand what it is to be under authority, and I understand what it is to exercise authority. And Jesus is astonished. He loves it. And he's not astonished because he's like, finally, someone who believes in my full potential. That's not what is astonishing Jesus. What's astonishing to him is like, where did you get this understanding? You didn't grow up in the faith. Maybe you haven't gone to church. And you've got, yet you've got a really clear understanding of, of how this thing works. Well, this is, this is amazing faith. And here's what you need to know about great faith in Jesus. It turns out to be some sort of portable like Christ carrier. You end up through faith carrying Christ to any situation that you step into. He's present through faith. And so he says, you just stand right there. You say the word. I understand how this works and I know what's going to happen as a result. This blows Jesus' mind. And then surprise number seven flows real nicely. It says, the, basically, it's shocking to find out that the insiders are out and the outsiders are in. Jesus is essentially saying, I'm in charge of the guest list. You're all going to be really shocked when you see who's in and when you see who's out. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west. And they'll recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The centurion was just coming for healing on behalf of an other, for another. He ends up with an invitation to heaven. He ends up reclining at the table. And many who we thought were going to be in will find themselves out due to a lack of faith in Jesus. And many who thought they were out, will find themselves in through a faith in Jesus as the Son of God. So the super-religious Pharisee who will not bow his knee to Jesus as Lord um, will not be uh, seated at the banquet. The Gentile military man working for the bad guys who will receive Jesus as Lord will find himself in. Jesus is not attacking the Jewish people here. He is, though, attacking a sort of possessiveness and exclusiveness that disfigures every community that is super sure of itself. That's what he's, he's getting after. A couple comments here, because I know in bringing up hell, it's a bit of a trigger for a, a lot of us. I want to start with a, a saying something here that should be good news to you. The first is that heaven is compared to a feast. A feast with bread and wine sitting with the heroes of the faith. And I can get into that. That's exciting. I, the cloud harp thing is, is horrifying to me. It's just singing forever. Has anyone ever felt that? Okay, just me, right. I don't want it. I don't want that. I don't, I don't want hell, but I don't want the cloud harp thing uh, but when this feast gets described, I'm like, I'm all about it. Are you kidding me? We sit and we feast at this wedding banquet and we do so with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Come on, sign me up. The other thing that I want to say, just as a reminder, is that no one speaks as frequently about what, we've, uh, what the church has called hell as Jesus. 
Jesus. And most of the time, when he speaks of hell, this is crazy. He's warning the insiders that they might not have a seat, not scaring the outsiders that they might want to get a seat. Isn't that wild? Well, it's, it, it's scary, but that's true. And Jesus, in warning them, is not warning them in order to cast them out, but he's warning them in order that through fear, he might draw them into himself by his words. True love warns. And that's what Jesus, he's not saying this so that they'll be cast out. He's saying this so that through the fear of this threat, they'll be drawn in. You know how this works if you're a parent. I think that the church is foolish to go on and on about the topography and the temperature of hell. I I think that it's foolish. We just don't know. I think the church is equally foolish and dumb to say things like hell's not a place, it's a condition. Hell is real and it is really a place of pain and regret. The only thing that's not surprising about the story of the centurion um, is that Jesus heals the young slave. It's kind of like, oh, and Jesus healed him. Uh, There are many things that would have been a shock to the audience um, who heard this uh, story. And then the last picture. Ready? Come on. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left. She rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who are sick. What a good day. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 about the suffering servant. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. The last picture we're given, the last story Matthew chooses to highlight is of Peter's mother-in-law. And I'm pretty sure that Matthew included this story just to mess with the Catholic Church. Just He was like, how can I mess with the Vatican? And he was like, I know, I'll tell them that Peter, the first pope, had a wife and a mother-in-law. I don't think that's what, this is all a joke. If you're new here, it's a joke. If you're new here and you're Catholic, I'm sorry. Um, I think that Matthew, maybe he could have highlighted this story as if to say nothing's too small. Nothing's too small to bring to Jesus. Here we have this gnarly story of a leper and the centurion slave son thing. And these are all big dramatic stories. And, and then Jesus sees Peter's mother-in-law with a fever. And he decides to touch her too. That, that could be maybe something that Matthew uh, was thinking. Matthew might include this story because she hops up and starts to serve. And you've probably heard a preacher preach that message where if God touches you, you know, and you've been helped, you help others, you know, and, and with what you've received, you give. And that might, that might honestly be what Matthew is getting at. But I, I think it's actually uh, maybe something else. He's not sharing this to mess with the Catholic Church or to say no fever is too small or to say once you've been helped, you need to help. That's not it. Um, I want to close by saying just one thing about the nature of faith 
um, and one thing about the nature and the character of Jesus' ministry. There is in Scripture an undeniable link between faith and healing or faith and your encounter or experience of Jesus. Um, I think of the many times Jesus said, it will be to you according to your faith, or your faith has made you well, or Jesus couldn't do very many miracles in that town because of their lack of faith. There is an undeniable link between having faith and having an encounter with Jesus. But there is not an exclusive link between having faith and having an encounter. Did the leper push past everything to get to Jesus? And was his approach amazing? Absolutely. Did the centurion risk it all? And was he a model of faith for us? Yeah, we're still talking about it to this day. Did Peter's mother-in-law get to Jesus? No. Did Peter's mother-in-law ask to be healed? No, she didn't. Did Peter's mother-in-law even know that Jesus was in the house? I have no clue. Jesus, on his own initiative, not the initiative of the leper, not the initiative of the centurion, Jesus, on his own initiative, sees her, finds her, and grants her divine mercy. Absolutely, there's a connection, but it's not an exclusive link. And I think that's part of the reason that this story is included. Sometimes Jesus is astounded by our faith and he heals because there's clarity. And sometimes he heals us when we don't ask just because of his mercy. Faith is huge. It's huge. But we need to be careful not to load the scales of faith with too much weight as though God won't or will not unless we have enough faith or unless somebody prays hard enough. Does God pray? Does God move when we pray in faith? Absolutely. Does God only move when we pray in faith? No. He does what he wants. That's one of the perks of being God. He doesn't answer to anybody. And we're in danger in the healing ministry, I think, of just domesticating Jesus. And you can domesticate him in two ways. There's one camp in the church that domesticates him by saying he doesn't heal anymore. There's no grounds in Scripture for that, but there's certainly grounds in people's experience. He doesn't heal anymore. And we are, in this text, from Matthew, being invited out of our unbelief into the miraculous. And unbelief is so safe. And the cynic in you and me is such a coward. Because unbelief always gets what it wants. And it risks nothing. It's safe. And we domesticate Jesus if we say, oh, he doesn't. Who are you to say what he does and doesn't do? Oh, he doesn't do this anymore. Okay. 
The second danger of domesticating Jesus is treating healing like it's a sovereign right gained by the appropriate use of formulas or volume or gimmicks. A sort of faith that puts us in the driver's seat. I love, I love what's modeled for us by the leper and saying, you can. How bold is that? He doesn't ask like, hey, I was just wondering how you deal with leprosy. Oh, you can heal this. I know you can heal. See the boldness and the confidence. But then he says, will you? You see the respectfulness, the humility, the sort of humble confidence of that statement? Oh, you can. I believe. Will you? I love the tone of that. Oh, you can't. And you will. Because in Isaiah 53, it says, you know, there's no bossing him around. Oh, I command you now by the formula given to me by a book. No, 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 no. There's no commanding through formulas. And I'm leery of anything that puts more weight on our approach than the one who's being approached. Our faith is in the one who's being approached not in the approach. Is this incredibly inspiring? And should you leave here going like, oh, I need to operate in faith. If you read the text today and you don't realize, holy moly, Jesus is way more eager to heal than I know. If you don't read the text today and go, oh my goodness, look who gets access. Look, look who gets a hearing. Look at the nature and the character of Jesus' ministry. These three stories that are included by Matthew involve outsiders, the leper, the Roman, the woman. The temple in Jerusalem was comprised of the Holy of Holies at the center. That was for the high priest. And then outside of that was the ring called the holy place for the priest. And then there was the court of men for Jewish men, and then there was the court of women for Jewish women, and then there was the court for Gentiles outside of that for Gentile converts to Judaism, and then there's an outer wall to the complex, and the leper would have been outside of that. You read these stories written by Matthew, and you go, my goodness, look who gets access. My goodness, look at the walls coming down. How did the leper get to the most holy place? How did the mother-in-law get to the most holy place? How did the Gentile get to him? And when they got to him, what did they get? You're being invited into the power of Jesus' ministry to tear down walls and to take sickness with it. And you're being invited into the power of the atonement and what it purchased. He carried on himself our diseases. He took up our iniquity, our shame. He bore those things in his body as he worked from the cross. Would you stand with me? I want to open up the communion table where you would come and remember that through Christ's body broken for us, us outsiders are on the inn. Because of his blood shed for us, we who were, would have been cast out 
have been uh, brought in through his work. Not just what he taught and us ascribing to that, but what he did. And the other thing we want to do with great faith this morning is pray for the sick. If you are here and you're wrestling with anything uh, socially, uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, we believe that Jesus is present here to heal, and we think that he's eager to do so. So we're going to stand and, and pray uh, for that. So you're welcome if you believe in the, the body and blood of Jesus shed for you uh, to come take communion as we worship. We're going to lift up the name of Jesus, and, and we're going to pray for people's sicknesses. We're going to pray for what ails you trusting that Jesus is here, eager to touch lives. Jesus, would you convince us again of your character, that you're eager, eager, eager to move. Our circumstances say otherwise, and the voices inside of our heads say otherwise, but your word has confronted us this day that you seem very, very willing. Put in us a willingness to ask and a willingness to risk in faith. Would you convince us again of what your work on the cross has purchased for us? We want to take hold of everything you bought. If you're providing something for us, uh, we don't want to say we don't need it. We want to say that you know, you know what we need and, and we want it. So come forward to the table and, and more importantly, step out in faith and receive prayer. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time.